Creative Babble. After the jury found Gage Bethune guilty of first-degree felony murder, he was taken into custody where he sat in jail awaiting sentencing. Not long after Gage's conviction, his defense attorney hired individuals to approach jurors to get more information on their verdict. During one encounter, one of the individuals approached a juror at her home. The juror noticed the individual was carrying a gun. She felt intimidated, which launched a police investigation. As part of Carbondale Police Department's investigation, they began listening in on Gage's already recorded jail phone calls. And you'll never guess what Gage was talking to people about. Yeah, according to the special prosecutor, David Neal, who assisted David Robinson, quote, we had evidence that he was selling drugs with the assistance of people on the outside while he was incarcerated in the Jackson County Jail. Unreal. I mean, Gage has just been convicted of felony murder and faces 20 to 60 years in prison. What the heck was he thinking? Yeah, my first reaction when I heard this was that's what criminals do. They commit crimes. He's just continuing on. It was just so blatant, though, and every inmate knows their conversations are being recorded. It's almost like he knows that he's about to get out of jail, or maybe he just doesn't care. So then they found out that he was dealing drugs from jail. He was calling his girlfriend, his brother, his friend, talking about the drugs, where it is, how much it is to sell for, where it should be kept, and all the code names for all these drugs. So Robinson brought that to the judge. And then the judge said... So the judge wasn't interested at all in the fact that, that Gage no, may have been no. uh, participating in some kind of no. uh, drug distribution while he was in jail. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct, Season 4, Getting Away with Murder. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The jury convicted Gage Bethune on June 14th, 2018. I spoke to Monica Zukas several times during June and July, and I just couldn't figure out why the sentencing wasn't taking place. I remember saying to her, something just doesn't feel right to me. The sentencing was finally scheduled for August 15th, but in early August, Gage tried to fire his attorney, Michael Wepsick. The judge denied his request because he didn't have another attorney lined up. So Judge Mark Clark confirmed August 15th as the sentencing date. Just days before the sentencing, Gage indicated that he had released his current attorney and hired Chicago-based attorney Stephen Greenberg, 
who at one point had represented R. Kelly. If you remember, during one of his interviews, Greenberg referred to the convicted child molester, R. Kelly, as a real victim. How will Greenberg defend Gage Bethune? With Gage Bethune now having a new attorney, Judge Clark postponed his sentencing to September of 2018. This allowed his new attorney to get up to speed and time to file post-trial motions. Gage's new attorney, Stephen Greenberg, argued it's not murder. But it didn't really matter because 12 jurors had already reviewed the evidence and decided that Gage Bethune was responsible for Praveen's death. It appeared Gage's legal maneuvering was too little too late. A day after this Jackson County man is found guilty in her son's murder, Praveen Varghese's mother speaks out. Gage on the stand saying, I hit him. I wanted to hear that. And I think that meant to me more than the verdict. I am so thankful that we got this for him so he can rest in peace and we can live with this beautiful memories. After many delays, Gage's sentencing day finally arrives. Here's John's interview with Lovely. So talk about what the sentencing date on uh, September 17, 2018. He walks in in street clothes from jail and no shackles, nothing. And I thought, this is really strange, you know? So I asked, even before that, that day, the judge comes in to the courtroom so early. He never did that. Always he comes in after the guy announces, you know, the judge comes and all that. This guy comes in, he's putting the papers here, papers there, he's moving things. He was like kind of panic mode. And Gage comes in and Robin, I asked Robinson, why is he like this? And he said, I don't know, I have to find out. By then, the judge came in, the court came into session, and the judge started to speak. And uh, he's like, one side of the courtroom is going to be upset with what I'm going to say. If you can't handle it, I want you to leave. So I'm thinking it's Gage's side because, you know, it's either 20 years or how many more. That is what it is, right? And, And then he started to say things which, to this day, I'm thinking, was he talking English or some other language? Because I did not understand. So Monica looks at me and she's like, this doesn't sound good. And she got up and she left. And after so many minutes, she comes back and they're just still talking. And Priya goes, what is he saying? I said, I have no idea. And then the only thing I, I remember him saying is he's putting the verdict aside and ordering a new trial. After he said that, we were in shock. So Robinson turned back and looked at us and he he told us to stay, don't leave. And they left the room, Gage's side left, and Robinson came and he kneeled in front of me, held my hand, and he said, I have no idea what just happened here, but I promise you I'll find out. I said, it's okay. It is like, what what is this? So, John, I'm not a legal scholar, but I was shocked when I heard what the judge did. Yeah, I mean, usually when someone is convicted of a crime, it takes years and years for that conviction to be overturned, either through appeals or multiple trials, or in rare instances, 
a dedicated innocence group will devote years trying to uncover new evidence, then and only then does a convicted criminal possibly go free. What this case showed was that there was one more possibility, one that most people don't even know exists in our legal system. Yeah, the trial judge has the power to override the jury if he or she thinks there was an error or some kind of injustice. I mean, I guess I always knew it was possible, but I just never expected it. I always thought that the jury's decision was final. Yeah, it's very rare and much less so in a felony murder case. So the judge set aside Gage's guilty verdict, but the question is, why? So John, could this be another case of corruption or small town politics, the good old boy club system at work? I don't think so. I mean, the judge had many opportunities. He could just simply have sided with the defense and he didn't. He did this completely on his own. Even during the trial, every little break that we would get, the sessions that you have break periods, everybody goes out my car from the third floor immediately comes down, talks to WebSec every single break. And then when he goes back, he gives me the stare. He just looks at me like I'm going to burn you up. I don't know. I mean, he should be talking to Robinson. My car, if you remember, was the state's attorney for Jackson County who refused to prosecute Gage. As Lovely pointed out, it was odd for him to be interacting with the defense and not the prosecution. Because the judge's actions were so unusual, it's easy to come up with theories to paint the judge in an unfavorable light. You know, like if there's some sort of secret motivation behind his decision. But the real reason that the judge set aside the conviction was because of possibly confusing wording in the original criminal indictment against Gage. In the judge's official ruling, he believed the jury may have been confused by the use of the word knowingly. It wasn't even an error. It was just a concern. In the grand jury indictment, it said, quote, Gage Bethune knowingly made a physical contact of an insulting or provoking nature, unquote. That was it. Yeah, Black's Law Dictionary defines knowingly as with knowledge, consciously. An individual acts knowingly when he acts with awareness of the nature of his conduct. In another definition of knowingly, it says it can't be because of an accident or mistake. Yeah, but that's so confusing because for felony murder, it specifically states that the death can be intentional or an accident. It's confusing to me, too, because you have to have intent for some of it, like the aggravated battery, but it can be accidental for other aspects like the death. Exactly. What did Gage have to knowingly do and what could have been accidental? And you also have to take into account direct and foreseeable. How does knowingly fit into all that? Yeah, it's hard to say. With all the semantics going on here, whether Gage actually is legally responsible for Praveen's death just seems irrelevant now, doesn't it? It's kind of crazy. This is uh, like a fourth dimensional trial because the judge also noted that there was sufficient evidence for the conviction and that there was no misconduct on anyone's part. Yet he let Gage walk free. Yep. The judge has full discretion within the courtroom. He or she can basically do whatever they want. So neither Javier nor I are attorneys, and we have zero experience sitting on a bench. So we wanted to bring in an experienced judge to see what she had to say about this. 
Here is retired judge and former criminal defense attorney Ellen Leesfield talking about overturning a verdict. How common is it for a judge to overturn a conviction? It's uncommon. It's uncommon. I don't know that I ever did it. I spent 10 years in the criminal courts, and I don't know that I ever did it. But were I faced with an injustice, I think I would be willing to do it. We always say the juries eventually get it right. It's so hard to sit and second guess a jury verdict or even a judge's decision when you weren't there the entire time. I always say to people, you know, they'll say, how could the jury have done this or how could the judge have done that? And I always say, unless you sat in that courtroom for five days and listened to the evidence, you can't sit the next day and Monday morning quarterback a decision. I'm a little surprised the judge waited till sentencing. Usually judges will, they'll wait for the case to be over. A lot of times a defense attorney will move at the close of the state's case. The defense attorney will make a motion for a judgment. They'll say, judge, even if everything the plaintiff or the the state put on is true, as a matter of law, this man should not be convicted. And that's an opportunity for the court to say, yeah, you're right. But a judge will very often say, well, let it go to the jury. Let's see what a jury does. And maybe the jury will get it right. And I kind of hope the jury will get it right so they don't have to overturn the conviction. So then at the conclusion of the case, after the verdict, the judge has another opportunity. The defense lawyer will renew his motion for a judgment, notwithstanding the verdict. It's called JNOV, a judgment notwithstanding the verdict. And the judge has an opportunity at that time to overturn the verdict, which they rarely do, which is rarely done. But in this case, I guess the judge must have slept on it, shall we say, over a period of weeks and maybe didn't sleep so well on it and maybe decided at that point to overturn it. Having heard being the only other person, not you and not me, But other than the jury, the only other person with the power to do something, uh, he did it. So it's understandable because he heard the whole case and that was his decision. It came down to semantics, right? It came down to one word that the judge said was problematic, and that word was knowingly. And how important is that word knowingly? Do you come across that word often in, in trials? In criminal court, knowingly is everything. In criminal court, it's another word for it is mens rea, M-E-N-S-R-E-A, which is intent. And so to commit a crime, you have to have intent. You don't commit crimes by accident. Only there's a manslaughter charge, like third degree manslaughter, I guess, where you don't intend the outcome. The person dies and you certainly don't intend it. And that would be a case where maybe there was a fight And certainly fights occur all the time and then somebody ends up dying. So did he knowingly punch the other person? Well, yeah, I'm sure he did knowingly punch the other person if they had a fight. But did he have any mens rea that that would result in the death? Did he have any knowledge that that would ultimately result in the death 
of the of the decedent no i mean so yes could that have confused the jury that the jury sitting back there did he knowingly punch the guy well sure he knowingly punched the guy but did he intend the result and that that's key but that knowingly is of course very important but it's, you can't just throw that word around it has to be there has to be some intent in the result so sounds to me like the judge did the right thing and must have had a lot of sleepless nights before he did it just setting aside a jury verdict is a bold move for a judge that has to be done sometimes otherwise the judge wouldn't have the power to do it the judge has the power under the law to do it and that power is instilled in that judge for just that reason otherwise we just have a little ai machine sitting up there calling balls and strikes but the judge has to be a human being who can consider all the factors and make a human decision and apparently the judge did that now with the judge's decision the case now goes back to the special prosecutor's office where does the case stand now like what's the pathway forward the case is still open still with david robinson and that's all i know i i mean he always tells me he will never give up so okay so there's still hope that that something legal or within the judicial system could have happened if nothing happens i want somebody to say what the judge did is wrong that needs to be corrected you don't have to go too far out of bounds for get to find people <laughs> to be completely shocked and astounded yeah. by what the judge did i feel a date has not yet been set for a new trial you know, not much is known about Gage's life now, apart from the fact that he is a father of a young girl and he's a self-employed construction worker. We're so excited. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we were just thinking, like I would like to have the scholarship to have some kind of connection with SIU. We met up with lovely Monica, Praveen's friends and family, on the ninth anniversary of Praveen's death. Each year, Lovely and her family trekked deep into the woods to locate the exact spot where Praveen's body was found. We usually walk deep into the woods to where he's found behind calls. Yeah, but oh, you know, when you get there, it's a clear area like this. You so walk in through the really deep woods, but then you get to a clear area. Lovely places a framed picture of Praveen on the ground with some flowers. And then the family begins to sing. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And The family members take turns saying a prayer in Praveen's honor. We thank you now for Praveen and what he meant to each of us. As we honor his memory, make us more aware that you are the one from whom comes every perfect gift, including the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We remember how Praveen died. We remember the initial loss, the sadness, and the emptiness. And so we celebrate Praveen's death into life. After the vigil, we headed to Southern Illinois University, you know, where Praveen went to college. The Varghese family awards a scholarship in Praveen's honor each year. This year's scholarship went to criminal justice student Consuela Moll. 
It was very like overwhelming, and because like I know that it's a, like a really sad, yeah. like, and the only reason I'm getting the scholarship is under like these circumstances. So um, it's just, I mean, I feel honored. It's a little bit, yeah. A mother knows her child, maybe even better than he knows himself. But there were secrets Praveen kept from his family. So then he went and got this tattoo because he always used to say, Mommy, I'm going to get a tattoo and that that will say, love mom. I'm like, no. I said, you're going to be in law enforcement. You can't get a tattoo. (laughs) Lovely didn't know it until she saw his body, but Praveen got a tattoo on his chest with the words, fear God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Today, at the vigil honoring Praveen's life, lovely Praveen's father, sister, friends, all are wearing a shirt with the words, Fear God, written on the exact same spot as Praveen's tattoo. Many people who first listened to the story believed that the judge's reversal was a grave injustice and erodes the public trust in the justice system. But Lovely's thoughts on the trial and the judge overturning the verdict are much more complex and extremely personal. What is your best theory as to why the judge just overturned the jury and let Gage walk out? I really, for some reason, I think he could not sentence Gage for all those years. That is one thing in my mind. And the other thing is he probably was threatened. He was told to do this. I don't know. If he could not sentence him, he was going to retire anyway in a couple months. Why couldn't he wait one more month and give it to the upcoming judge? the duty of sentencing him, you know, if he has the hard time sentencing this boy that looks like him. In the victim's impact statement, I was talking to Gage and I I said in that, I forgive you. And I said, there are days that I don't even think about you because every time I think of you, I have to think of my son's injuries. You are the last to want to touch my son. I want you to make something out of your life. And if it was, if I leave this up to my son, he would have said, it's okay, buddy. Go and live your life. Criminal Conduct was written and produced by me, Javier Leva, with the Pretend Podcast, and John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. Punit Shinoi, with the Podcast Pundits, helped us with the production and editing on this series. The episodes are also available on Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music was written and produced by Ruby Rose Fox. Of course, follow us on social media. We are at CriminalCon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right, we'll talk next week. Creative back.